Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of human civilization. Although, to be fair, human civilization is not doing the greatest job for itself lately. I think you'd agree. If you watch me on any of the following platforms, X or YouTube or Rumble right now, I'm testing out a new separate camera. How's my camera? How's my lighting? Good? Well, I hope so. Well, today, if you'd like to take this experience up to levels that nobody could even imagine, and that includes the swaddling, I recommend that during these uh, trying times when the news is very stressful, they get out your, ideally, it could be a plaid blanket, but it doesn't have to be. You swaddle yourself so that we're all simultaneously swaddling. At the same time, we do the simultaneous sip. Oh, it'll help. You think it won't help? It'll help. It'll help a lot. And all you need for the simultaneous sip is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tank or chalice, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind, fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine of the day, the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip, and it happens now. Wow, that actually was delicious. Better than usual. Well, uh, I would like to give you the reframe of the day. We'll, of course, talk about Israel and the hard news, but I like to warm up with some appetizers. Reframe of the day. I saw this. uh, Now, it comes from my new book, Reframe Your Brain. It's just one example. All the reframes are completely different and in different topics, so don't make a generalization about it. But uh, Daniel Rusty tweets this. He says, uh, new book, book, Reframe Your Brain. And then he tells this reframe that he liked. Quote, and this is from me, uh, doing what you're told gets you a paycheck. Doing what you're not told but is useful gets you promoted. Now, the idea is that if you just do a real good job at the things you're supposed to do, well, then you look like somebody who deserves a promotion. But if you do what you're supposed to do, plus you notice some things that need to be done that are even maybe above your pay grade, but they just need to be done and they're unaddressed, do those. Do those too. And you will find that you are immediately the person they think of when they're thinking of promotion. Now, I saw some pushback. Somebody said, Scott, 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 I don't think you understand the real world of work. Okay, right there, I should have blocked him, but I read on. You don't understand that what would happen in the real world is if you did something that was not your job, your boss would uh, yell at you for doing something that's not in your job description and somebody else has a budget and a paycheck to do it and you're just doing their job and you're just duplicating work, Scott. So how about that? To which I say, I always make the following assumption with my reframes that you're not a freaking idiot. Because if you were an idiot, then the extra stuff you would do would be things that are other people's jobs that they're paid to do. (laughs) That's not exactly the suggestion. No, the suggestion is there's something that nobody's doing, and you could do it, so you do it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you stand out at work. If you're only doing what you're asked to do, you're not going anywhere. 
you'd better figure out what you can do that's extra. Right? Think of your job as marketing. It's not even about the thing that you do. It's about the marketing of yourself. And that's your reframe. Your reframe is doing what you're told, gets you a paycheck, doing more than you're told. Might get you more than more than a paycheck. Well, we learned a little bit more about the TikTok ban that's never going to be a ban. This seemed like it was going to happen for a while, and now it seems like there's no way it's going to happen. Um, Laura Ingram, she tweeted that it's because of Chinese money flooding Capitol Hill. I think that's obvious, don't you? What else could it be except Chinese money flooding the zone? Well, uh, Politico has an article, and that's why uh, Laura Ingram was commenting on it. And the Politico article, this is not an allegation. This is just an impression, right? So I don't know what's true. I only know what impression I'm getting. The impression I'm getting is that uh, China wrote this article. Now, they didn't, obviously. But it's written like Chinese propaganda, basically. And here's Politico's uh, long explanation for why the TikTok ban has not been implemented. Are you ready for this? It's rather detailed, but you know you need to hear the other side. And it goes like this. So the reason that the TikTok ban has not been approved, even though it, even though it had bipartisan support, so this wasn't one of those partisan ones. This had bipartisan support, but it didn't happen. And there are good reasons for it. Let's see, the good reasons are uh, um, uh, things and uh, processes. Uh, oh, there's no law and a thing and a person, and then they talk to somebody who may have felt something about the, uh, I don't know, the constitutional, legal, the standards, uh, the also the, uh, the precedent and the uh, politics. And Okay, there's no fucking reason. That, let me summarize. Politico just did this big complicated thing to make you think there are reasons. There are no reasons, <laughs> except for what Laura said, which is it must be Chinese money. What else could it be? Yeah, it, it is such word salad when you read, well, there's this, you know, there's this law from 30 years ago that says you shouldn't ban information from foreign countries, to which I say, never. <laughs> never. There's nothing that could have changed that would make that a different situation, as in a weaponized app. Do you think when they made the ruling about not banning information from other countries, do you think that they were thinking about a weaponized brainwashing app? No. No. What would it take for the commander-in-chief to ban something that was a military asset? Nothing. It's the commander-in-chief. They just say, this is dangerous to the country, I ban it and then fight it out in court. But you ban it first. You don't, you don't fight it out first. It's a military asset. You ban it first. And then you see if you follow the law. So now the country is not being run for the benefit of the country. Whatever is happening here is for the benefit of China. There is no feasible, conceivable argument that this is good for the United States. And by the way, that's a bipartisan opinion. Right. So you know it's about people being bought off, essentially. Well, Mike Lindell says he will keep fighting in his lawsuit. He's being sued by the 
Dominion and Smartmatic people. Apparently, he has at least the option, I guess you always have the option, of trying to do a settlement that would be super, super devastating and expensive. Or he could fight it out and bankrupt his company, which is you know likely. He decided he's going to fight it out and bankrupt his company. Now, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. He's the only one who can judge that. But I wouldn't want to get in too much of a fight with Mike Lindell because this guy doesn't quit. <laughs> he just doesn't quit. Yeah, I, I weirdly respect it, even if it's the wrong decision. I kind of like his fight, right? I don't know if he's right. I have no idea if he's right or wrong. But I do like his fight. He clearly believes he's right, and he's going to bet it all. He's actually just going to bet it all. Now, I'm sure he's saved up a few bucks, so he's not going to go to the poorhouse, but that's a pretty big sacrifice to sacrifice your company, and it looks like he's willing to do it. But here's a question that I have. I've never seen anybody address this. How can Dominion and Smartmatic sue Mike Lindell for being wrong about his claims about the election unless they make their code public? How, how does this work? How in the world can they sue him when his claims would presumably, I would assume that his claims would include some allegations about what happens with the code, you know, the actual programming code? Isn't that part of it? Now, maybe that's not part of the claim. Maybe the claim has something you know, independent so you don't have to look at it. But I would think that would be the most logical way this goes, right? The most logical way is that his lawyers get to see the code. And he would have experts to be able to look at it and see if there's anything wrong. Now, I don't think there's any way that these companies can reveal their code. Because forget about even whether there's something you know that they need to cover up. I don't have any reason to believe that. But it seems like it would be proprietary at the very least. They wouldn't want to release it for competitive reasons. So I don't know how he loses. Can Does anybody... I'm not a lawyer, but I don't see how you lose if the main piece of evidence you're not willing to share for political reasons or for competitive reasons. So I don't think he's going to be able to you know, show that any uh, bad things happened, but he might be able to show that the case can't go forward. That's just a guess. I don't know. All right. Speaking of things I don't know much about, Jonathan Turley says that there's new new stuff coming out with the Biden crime family situation. And so Turley tweets that uh, newly released evidence reveals over $20 million coming from 23 separate com- countries on four continents to at least nine Biden family members. And then he says, not only are the Biden transfers becoming clear, so is the Biden family tree in this lucrative form of corruption. Now, if you were to read this out of context, you would say to yourself some form of this. Oh, my God. They they totally have the goods on the Biden crime family. Man, they're in trouble now, right? Right? They're in big trouble now. Except, do we really live in a world in which the evidence is going to matter in this case? If it, were, if it were you or me, I think the evidence would matter a lot. 
but do we really think it's going to matter in this case? My guess is no. <laughs> My guess is it won't matter at all. What do you think? I feel as if it do, it, it'll make no difference how, how much direct evidence there is. Because the other side will simply say, there was no direct evidence. And then you'll say, but, but here it is, like right here. Look, look, direct evidence. And they'll say, well, I, I got to go. And then tomorrow they'll come back and say, well, there was no direct evidence. You know, no, no evidence to correct, connect him to any crime. Check something for a minute here. All right, just making sure my camera's working. I think I'm going to have to change that camera orientation because I have to look up to see it. All right, well, anyway, uh, all the other news got wiped off the map because of the situation in Israel. And um, that's not the only news that got wiped out. Did anybody wake up this morning and say to themselves, I don't think I can spend another minute looking at atrocities? Because it seemed like all the videos were about atrocities. And I woke up this morning, atrocities gone. Did you notice that? Did anybody notice that all the videos of the atrocities are gone? I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's an observation. Yeah, and I'm not too surprised because um, there weren't that many different videos, so I think the social media networks could focus in on getting the ones. A number of them were fake. So there there was one video uh, that purported to show some high-ranking Israeli being captured by the Palestinians, and that was not even from, wasn't even the same country. It was a fake video from another country. Uh, you can still see the videos on Telegram. Yeah. Um, but it does tell you that the the media, let's say the media monster, including social media, have made a decision about how much to inflame the emotions of the viewers. And you could easily predict that there would be a blackout of news. Here's why. Because the next phase is going to be terrible. Like the first phase was, I mean, almost terrible on a level that's hard to imagine, you know, unless you're thinking World War II levels. But for what, uh, for what Israel needs to do next, and has already said they would do, which is go into Gaza and take over, apparently Gaza is booby-trapped and I mean, it would just be the hardest door-to-door fighting you could ever have, and Israel certainly not wanted to do it. But you're not going to see any of that on video. Um, presumably, lots of video will be taken because they have cameras and whatnot. But I think uh, Israel's already turned off the electricity and water. So Gaza already has no electricity and water. I don't know how they're getting food, right? And you can expect that the bloodshed will be extreme you know, when, when Israel moves in. They're already bombing, so there's already bloodshed, but not as much as it's going to be. It's going to be a lot worse. And it seems to me, and I'll tell you why in a minute, that Israel needed to, um, and their allies, 
needed to just turn off the news because what happens next, they're not going to want it on the news. So, yeah, one half of the population of Gaza is children. Did you know that? 50% of the entire population of Gaza are children. How do you think they're being raised? Do you think they're being radicalized? Well, if they weren't being radicalized, I'm sure they were, but if they weren't, they are now. I mean, if they weren't before, they certainly are now. What do you do with a million children, because there are about two million in Gaza? So there are something like a million children who have been raised to be almost weapons to hate Israel. And what do you do about it? And what do you do about that? You would have to control their school systems and retrain them as best you could. You'd have to control the news and control the schools. And you would have to shut down anything that was training people differently. So the level of change that Israel would have to introduce is just going to look like a prison camp. Right? They would have to remove pretty much all freedom. to even. In order for Israel to be safe, they would have to remove most freedom from Gaza because the Gazans have been propagandized. And, and by the way, I'm not making an opinion of who's good or bad or right or wrong. In case you're picking it up, if you're like, oh, I think he's pro this or anti that, I'm trying not to be. Because my opinion is that as bad as these current things are, it's a complicated place. And it's easy to tell the story and forget to leave out, you know, this group did something bad to the other group. What about that thing 100 years ago? And you're forgetting the thing 2,000 years ago. But what about the 1940s? But what about 1970s? Right. So when you talk about that area, unless you say everything that both sides have done that's shitty to each side, nobody's going to take you seriously. So I'm just going to blanketly say, bad people have done bad things. But I'm looking at what's happening at the moment. All right. So here are some uh, things we know. Uh, The news is telling us that Iran, their intelligence people, uh, or security people, helped uh, Hamas plan the attack and that they met with them in Beirut with senior members of Hezbollah and Hamas, which would suggest that Hezbollah is backing it, but might back it more militarily in the future. Now, that's the news. Now, let me ask you this. What was the source? You all heard that news. If you're paying attention, you've already heard the news. What was the source? Do you remember seeing any source? How would we know that that meeting happened? We're in the middle of a war. In a a way, we're all in the middle of it. We're in the middle of a war... And an anonymous source told you something that's right on the nose. Middle of a war, that's a bit strong signal for everything being a lie. Right on the nose is your second signal for everything being a lie. Right? So, and then, so, war, anonymous source, right on the nose. Those are three signals for a lie. But don't you think it's directionally true? (laughs) 
don't you think Iran has supported Hamas in a military way? Here's my best guess. My best guess is that the story is fake, but that it's true enough, meaning that maybe there was no specific meeting in Beirut that included those parties. But it would be really good military forum to tell people that they do about a specific meeting in a specific place with a specific set of attendees. Because if you tell the story that way, then the public goes, whoa, I thought it was just a rumor. But apparently you, you actually know about the people in the room. Okay, so I believe it now. More likely, we, we have a certainty that Iran is behind it, and somebody made up a narrative that fits the certainty that we all held. My guess is it's bullshit, but not, not the general idea. The general idea is true, I guess. My, my best understanding is that Iran is behind at least the funding and you know probably a lot of the planning. But was there that one specific meeting that was key to it all? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say more likely no than yes. But that it got you to the right place. It took your head to the right place, but probably with a, a path that wasn't quite complete. All right, so here are some of the things uh, that I've learned. Uh, I saw one opinion piece that says... Uh, well, let me just give you this background first. Did you know that the Hamas charter, so the charter of the organization from 1988 hasn't changed apparently, calls for Islam to, quote, obliterate Israel? Did you know that it's actually the written part of the charter? Generally speaking, if somebody has that written in their charter that they're going to destroy you, that's a free punch. You can do anything to that group. You can murder them all, torture them all. Nobody gives a fuck. Once you've declared your intention to do a Holocaust on a demographic group, you know, they're talking about Israel, the country, but really, it's pretty close to just a Holocaust. Um, once you've declared your intention, the people that, you, that are the potential you know, victims of that, they can do anything. There, there are no restrictions on what they can do once that is the stated opinion. Now, I'm not saying they should. I'm not, I'm not recommending any particular kind of violence or anything. Um, I'm just saying that their moral and, I guess, just moral standing is 100%. They can do anything they want. Uh, whether it makes sense to do that is another story. Now, here are all the uh, interesting speculations about uh, Israel, Hamas, Russia, and Ukraine, because we all think it might be related. This big military-industrial thing might be all one one big thing. So here are some things that will help you decide that. First of all, Iran um, is not exactly. It's not obvious who they back in the Ukraine-Russia situation because they provided drones to Russia, so you would say, oh, they're, they're Russian, you know, Russian allies. They gave them drones. But they probably sold them, right? So they made money. So maybe it was just money, because they don't care where they're used. But I also understand that Iran's point of view is that Crimea belongs to Ukraine. 
I'll need a fact check on that, but I read that this morning. Is that true? That Iran backs Ukraine's ownership of Crimea, which is currently in Russian hands? Because that would be as close as you could be to the opposite of an ally of Russia. So it looks, it looks like Iran is trying to play it both ways. In other words, one foot in Ukraine, one foot in Russia, so that they could you know, pivot in either direction as their interests require. So that's the first thing. Now, I would look for a fact check on the Crimea part, but it's not, a, it's not like a clean-out alliance. All right. Um, the other thing is um, there's rumors that weapons that were meant for Ukraine are ending up with Hamas. Is that proven? Does anybody think that the Ukraine weapons are ending up with Hamas? I don't think so. Because I can't, unless, you know, unless they got diverted before they got to Ukraine somehow. I don't know how that would happen. So there might be something criminal happening. But I could say for sure Zelensky would not be in favor of giving weapons to Hamas. Because <laughs> they need all the weapons they can get. So if, in fact, it's happening, there's nobody in Ukrainian leadership who wants it to happen. I guarantee that. So, but maybe, you know, weapons are pretty fungible. You know, one rifle looks like another rifle. So anything could happen in the arms trade, and anything could happen anywhere. Um, I saw one rumor with no no belief that it's true that... Uh, um, Israel may have given away 80% of its artillery to Ukraine. I guess they would have had to do that quietly if they did it. I don't know. I don't think I believe that. I don't believe that they secretly gave away 80% of their artillery. So I'm going to say, I'm going to call BS on that. Doesn't doesn't feel true. I mean, it's possible, but I'm going to call BS on that. Uh, I also saw... A tweet today that uh, there was a known Iranian spy ring in the Obama administration, even naming names. Is that a real thing? What do we know as of today? Do we know actually that there was an Iranian spy ring as part of the Obama administration? Are you sure that's not just a right wing story? Has any left leading publication confirmed that? Yeah, uh, I see your comments, but I don't, I think you're, well, yeah. <clears throat> All right, I'm not going to name the names you're naming. All right. I don't know if that's true. It seems like it could be, but I don't know enough about it to have an opinion. All right. Um, here's my big opinion of the day, if you're ready for it. Are you ready for the big opinion of the day? Um, the first thing you should know is that I am no expert on the Middle East. Can we all agree on that? I like it. I like to see your agreement that whatever I say about the Middle East, you should put that in your, your grain of salt, idiot who doesn't know anything opinions. All right. So if we can agree that I have no credibility in this domain and I'm on the same page, then you don't need to remind me of it. I'm just doing it to save you time because I know the NPCs are already spinning. Like as soon as I said I was going to give you a big opinion, 
the the NPCs were like, oh, I can't wait to sound in on this. I'm going to say something about you not knowing enough about the region. Oh, oh. So I know you're right on the edge of orgasm, sort of an NPC orgasm, because you see the the low-hanging fruit coming, don't you? Like in your mind, you're imagining, oh, that fruit is going to be low-hanging. The moment he weighs it on this, oh, cartoonist, let's listen to the cartoonist. I've got my sarcasm ready. Oh, I'm going to unload on him. It's going to be delightful. <laughs> so that's that. That's how I imagine it. Now, now that we've completely discredited me, and I think that was appropriate, I'd like to discredit everybody else. So who saw this attack coming? Now, I know you're all going to say you did, right? You're all going to say you did. Oh, I knew it was coming. No, you didn't. <laughs> but I know the NPCs are going to say they did. Saw it coming from a mile away. All right. So while we can all agree, including me, that my opinion is worthless and should not be taken seriously, I would like to propose that my opinion is equal to the greatest experts in the field. Also, completely worthless. Will you go that far with me? That my opinion is worthless, but about equal to all the other professional opinions. And I will go further. Equal to all of the military opinions. Do you know how much I know about the military? Less than I know about the Middle East. And I I will assert that nobody has any useful opinions over there. (laughs) It's just all bullshit and guessing and idiots, as far as I can tell. That's, that's the entire landscape. All right. That said, now we've got a good base here. I give you my opinion. And NPCs, get ready for this low-hanging fruit. It's going to be delicious. All right, I'm just going to read you my long tweet because I said it so perfectly. Uh, I said, like the rest of you, I'm trying to understand the Hamas strategy. Don't you wonder what the hell they're up to? Like, what, when did you ever have a war when you don't know what the side that started the war even wants? I mean, other than the destruction of Israel, but does it look like that's going to happen? Or that they thought that was going to happen? No, there's something else going on. So let me just read it. On the surface, it looks insane. There's no real hope of conquering Israel. And no hope it will make anything better for anyone. Would you agree so far? There's no hope that they're going to conquer Israel in the next month, right? And there's no hope that it's going to make anything better for Palestinians. Indeed, it's guaranteed to make it worse. Would you agree with those statements? So there's not any obvious gain. So it's something else. It's something less obvious. Um, But Hamas seemed, this is my own opinion, Hamas seemed too capable to be dismissed as crazy people. They did mount a very successful operation in their you know, evil domain. Uh, and their Iranian handlers, you know, whether or not there was a meeting in Beirut or not, you know the Iranians are involved. Do the Iranians seem mentally unfit? Do they seem incompetent? They do not. One of the things we worry about is the Iranian security people are actually pretty capable. It's a problem, right? So if you have people who are operating like they're not crazy, you know, they put together a successful 
major campaign. What's going on? We can't see their objective. And they're not just crazy, because crazy people might not have an objective. So if they're not crazy and we can't see what they're up to, what's going on? So I've ruled out making anything better as an objective. Would you agree? Their objective is not to simply get hostages back, although they might. It's not just to make some attention for their cause, although it does. Right? But there's nothing immediately that will get better. Would you agree that there's no way the the people in Hamas were thinking, oh, by next Tuesday we'll have a lot of stuff fixed? Definitely not making anything better. All right. So what else? What is going on? Um, here's what I think. If you eliminate making anything better, what's left? And here's what's left. Um, you could predict that Israel's response will necessarily, because there's no way around it, create civilian hardships in Gaza that is likely to shock the civilized world. They already turned off the electricity and water in Gaza. Gaza depends entirely from for, for its food from outside sources. In other words, Gaza is entirely supported by the outside. It's like 70% unemployment rate. It's just a basket case. So Israel will have to do something to uh, get control of Hamas, which means going into Gaza, which means that the bloodshed and the suffering of the uh, citizens of Gaza, who many of them just wanted to mind their own business and stay healthy and happy, and we're not doing too well on that. But it's going to look bad. And here's my main point. If that were to happen it would decrease Israel's primary asset. What is Israel's biggest asset? The Holocaust. The Holocaust is their biggest asset. Now, you might say, no, it's it's their economy, it's their military, it's the land of Israel itself, it's the people. You might have lots of different answers. None of them are even close (laughs) to the value of the Holocaust narrative. The Holocaust narrative puts them in the victim role and is so horrific that all, you know, good people say some version of, you know, never again. Because whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, you're pretty committed to making sure that doesn't happen again unless you're just the worst person in the world. So I would say that that the fact Israel has a country is because of the narrative of the Holocaust. The reason they have a good economy is because they have a country, and they have a good military because they have a good economy. Basically, 100% of their other assets depend on, at least historically, but also today, on the fact that when you think of Israel, you think of that narrative. But if Israel can be goaded into doing something so bad to the Gaza uh, residents that observers say to themselves, hey, I'm not so sure they were always the good guys, then then Hamas will have taken from Israel their biggest asset, which is psychological. Psychological. Let me go on. 
Um, looks to me as if Hamas is playing a long game. Step one, weaken the Holocaust narrative and gain more militant supporters across the region. Have they done that? Mm, it's starting, starting to look like maybe they are doing that. Don't know to what extent, but it's certainly directionally they're getting something they wanted, I think. Um, and the only price that they'll have to pay, that Hamas will have to pay, is the uh, continued uh, pain and death and suffering of their own residents. However, how were those residents doing before? If you said, hey, you Americans or Canadians or Europeans, we'd like you to go from whatever your current lifestyle is to something closer to starvation and living without electricity. Well, we would say, um, whatever it is you have to do to avoid that, do that. Because I'm not going back to you know, being living in a cave. Because there's a gigantic difference between our current lifestyles, the average lifestyles in those countries, and what, the, what it could be. So we would try to avoid that at all costs. However, if you had a 70% unemployment rate, you had been trained that you're being oppressed by one group in particular, and on the ground you see evidence of it, like, oh, I can't travel freely, do any kind of business I want, that sort of thing. And then you're being propagandized. And then you don't have your basics, like you're struggling for food every day, and you're living in you know very suboptimal living conditions. Under those conditions, Hamas is hoping that if they're taken from uh, a very bad situation to start with, and then it gets worse, it can't get that much worse. There's not enough room. Like, things were bad in the beginning. Now, what's likely to happen is that there will be massive food aid will be provided from the outside. So they probably won't starve. Probably. I can't guarantee that. But they probably won't, because I would imagine lots of countries are gearing up to make sure they don't starve already. So from the point of view of Hamas, who believes that suffering to get what they want is just part of their package, it doesn't look like such a big expense. And it looks like they have a lot to gain if they can take Israel down a notch in the public opinion and also you know, maybe get some other people fired up on their side. So it doesn't look crazy from that perspective. It just looks like people doing things far more extreme than you would, because your lives are comfortable. How extreme would you be if your life was completely uncomfortable all the time? I mean, some of you probably is. You would do a lot more, right? Yeah, you know, if I had to feed my family, how extreme would I be to feed my family? Almost anything. Almost anything. So ex- extremism makes sense when people are struggling. It makes a lot less sense when they're not. All right. And so uh, I want to tell you what a great prediction I made uh, after it already happened. If there's one advice I can give you, if you'd like to be well-known for uh, making good predictions, predict things that have already happened. So I made a prediction that I found out was was happening at actually the same time I was making the prediction. (laughs) So here was the prediction. 
that makes Saudi Arabia the most important player in this drama. When and if they take a side, the new narrative is formed. As I was writing this tweet, at the same time, Saudi Arabia was uh, announcing that they're going to end all negotiations on normalizations with Israel. And they've informed uh, Secretary of State Blinken that it's ending all negotiations on normalizing relations, according to the Jerusalem Post. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit, uh, you know, even though I, I, I ended up predicting thing that something that happened half an hour before I predicted it. But it was obvious that, is, that Saudi would be the big player. Now, of course, this is related to the Abraham Accords and the normalization of things. So you assume that Hamas wanted to make sure it didn't get isolated in the region by having everybody be chummy with Israel and having lots of economic ties. That would make it harder for Hamas to operate. So it looks like they won. It looks like Hamas got what they wanted in the short run, which is to tank the, uh, the deal. So not only did Hamas get an immediate victory of destroying the, uh, the warming of relations between Saudi and Israel, but they, get, they might get a longer-term win by making Israel look like an aggressor far more than people have seen it that way in the past. Yeah. So there it is. Now, do you think the fact that we heard a story with uh, questionable truth that uh, Iran had actually met with Hamas and, and Hezbollah? It all makes sense now, right? You can see that all of this is gearing up to attack Iran. The, this is the beginning of a uh, war with Iran. It can't go any other way. Because you know what Israel can't allow to happen? The leadership of Iran to still be alive a year from now. It's not an option anymore. That's what I think. Um, In my opinion, Israel will have to take out the leadership of Iran. I think they'll first take care of business with Hamas. And once, once they get on top of it, sometime between now and the end of the year, there's going to be some exploding things happening in Iran, and it's going to be over. Now, it might make things much, much worse, but they don't have a choice at this point. The current system, the current system guarantees Israel's destruction in time. Israel is pretty good at long-range planning, right? Hamas is pretty good at long-range planning, it seems, but Israel's good too. And there is no way they're going to allow Iran to get nuclear weapons so that they can continue funding Israel's enemies forever with impunity. They have to take them down before their nukes are operational. We've had this whole narrative about, oh, they're going to break out any day. Any day Iran's going to be nuclear. At the same time, we have the narrative that they just funded an active war, an actual invasion, with hundreds if not thousands of uh, victims on the Israeli side. If you put those two stories together, Iran's getting close to a nuclear breakout at the same time that they're funding a war in in Israel. Israel doesn't have a choice. They have to take out the leadership of Iran. Am I the only person who said that directly? 
as it was coming out of my mouth, I was thinking, I haven't heard anybody say that directly. But I, I don't think there's any other choice. Oh, as uh, Jack said it. So my, my statement, I want to I be very clear about my statement. I'm not recommending it. I'm not, I'm not joyous about it. I'm not celebrating it. We are simply looking at a set of facts that guarantees it. And Israel will never have a better opportunity because at the moment, public opinion is on their side, at least outside of the Middle East. And if they wait, it'll be too late. You know, Iran will have nukes. And may I further suggest that America thinks it's the right time too. Why? Because Iran was helping Russia. And so now you have a Ukrainian reason. You have a Ukrainian reason to attack Iran. You have a nuclear breakout reason. And now you have the supporting Hamas reason. Are we done? War with Iran is guaranteed. And it's guaranteed this year. There isn't any way around it. But I hope, I hope it's limited to the leadership. I don't know if anybody's ever pulled that off. When was the last time somebody took out the leadership of a country and that settled things? Does that ever happen? Because you have to still, because otherwise they just get replaced with their supporters who are even worse. Do you mean 2024? (laughs) Yeah. You know, this would be the best thing that Biden could do is lose the election. Except I don't think Israel's going to wait that long. I think Biden's going to have to be part of the solution. So this will be a good test of whether Biden is his own person. Because you can imagine that Biden would not naturally be on board with attacking Iran, because that would be very different from anything that's come before. But if he does anyway, what would you assume about who is controlling Biden? You might say to yourself, he's not his own person. You might say to himself that Ukraine wants um, Iran to be taken out. So maybe Ukraine has control over him. You might say that the, uh, the Jewish lobby in the United States, presumably getting very active because that's what they're for, uh, might be persuasive. It might persuade Congress and the president to do something that they would ordinarily be you know, unlikely to do. So I looked into who is funding Gaza, because that's a big question here. So just to give you some numbers so you can kind of understand the landscape. So there are fewer than 2 million people living in Gaza, which is around 2 million. Half of them are children, as I said. So that's, that's your demographics. And then how much money are they getting and from whom? Um, well, from lots of places. Germany actually is one of the people funding um, the Palestinians. So Germany is funding people who in part are destroying, uh, trying to destroy Israel and kill Jews. That's not a good look for Germany. They might rethink that. All right, so here's some numbers. These are 2021 numbers, but they're probably not too far off. The United States has provided over half a billion in assistance, uh, more than 400 million in humanitarian aid, 
75 million in support through some other U.S. thing and a bunch of COVID stuff. So from 2014 to 2020, U.N. agencies spent $4.5 billion. So it looks to me like it's in the billion or two per year between what all the Europeans and the U.N. is doing, which is funded by the Europeans and us, and what the U.S. is doing directly. And then there's Qatar that's uh, given money there. But basically, we're in the low... Looks like one or two, one or two billion a year, from a variety of places. Um, but do you think that they're going to keep getting that? Who's going to keep giving the money after today? I don't know. Um, here, here, this this seems like it's unrelated, but everything's related. So Governor Newsom, with the worst timing. I've ever seen in politics, tweets yesterday, we just passed a resolution calling for a constitutional amendment on guns in California. Seriously. The entire news landscape shows armed men with guns running through residential places shooting civilians who have what? What are the civilians armed with? Fuck all. Yeah, they're armed with their fingers, right? Apparently, you can get a gun in Israel, but it's a hard, hard process, and you're only going to get one, and it's going to be a pistol. That's it. I mean, they have really good gun control. Now, maybe they need that gun control because they also have you know, a lot of people in their population that might be you know, tempted. But at the moment, it's looking like the biggest mistake in the world because people with guns are just wildly killing people without guns. Now, what would that look like in the United States in 2023? Pick any town, any city in the United States, and you see the bad guys running through, except maybe some of the cities where they, you know, they have really strict uh, gun control. But imagine it in most places. Well, actually, imagine it in a city. Imagine it in a city. Because you know what would happen if it happened in an American city? everybody from the suburbs would throw their guns in the back of a pickup truck and start driving in that direction. In about three hours, the city would be well-armed. <laughs> they would just, they, it would be the people from the burbs just showing up with pickup trucks, literally with all their guns in the back and all their ammo. And they say, help yourself. Go at it. Right? They might not want to fight themselves in every case, but they're going to bring you their guns right? If the country is under attack, right? Not otherwise. So I don't think, I don't think the uh, Hamas could have, you know, been on foot and wiping out Americans door to door. That would not last long. So Governor Newsom, in the midst of all this video showing that the worst thing you could do to your population is leave them unarmed while you've got uh, threats on the border, at the same time, we're showing video of presumably terrorists, at least some of them, just some of them, streaming over our border. Do you think Hamas never thought, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea if, you know, we've got a few extra guys? Let a few of our guys get through that border. It'd be a good time to do it because it might be useful to get them, you know, set up inside the country in case we need them. You don't think that's already happened? Of course it has. You don't think the cartels are moving their operators through so that in case they're needed, 
they're already in place? Of course they are. And fucking idiot Newsom comes up with some idea to reduce your access to guns while we're watching the Israeli uh, citizens being slaughtered for being unarmed. I'll tell you, there's one video that you're not going to see much of. I don't know if it's real or current, but I'll just describe it and see how many of you saw it. How many of you saw a video of a family escaping through a a top floor uh, window onto the roof of something so they could get away? And then the last person out the window uh, is the father. And there was gunfire the entire time. The father had, he was one of the few people who had a pistol. He held them off until they finished him in the window, and then he fell out and his gun slumped out of his hand. That man saved his entire family, and there were a number of them. It looked like there were at least a dozen people who came out. He saved a dozen people because he had one gun and balls of steel. He had one gun, saved 12 people. That's what it looked like, because the report is that the family got away. Now, you see that guy, you see him get blown away, you see him slump, and then in probably the most powerful thing you'll ever see, the last thing you see before he dies and falls to the ground is the gun falls out of his hand. And the whole story is told in the moment that the gun falls out of his hand. I don't think you're going to see that video because it's too powerful. There's no way you're going to want to ban guns after you see that. So I think that the gun lobby people are going to make real sure that one doesn't show up. And by the way, I don't know if it was real. I I don't want to say it was real. It could have been some other conflict. For all I know, it's hard to tell. But that one was powerful. And um, I'm not surprised uh, that a lot of video will be unavailable today. So, um, now, what do you think about the um, the question of whether terrorists are coming through our southern border? Do you think they are or are they not? Would you say that they are or are not coming through the southern border? Actual terrorists. Could be Hamas, could be cartels, could be anybody. All right. <laughs> I would like to shock you by saying uh, I fooled you into the wrong question. I made you think past the sale. I did that intentionally. I made you think past the sale and you all failed. It doesn't fucking matter if any terrorists are coming across the border. It doesn't fucking matter. You would do the same thing because the risk is off, it's off the chart. You don't have to know if they're really coming through. You treat it like it's the fucking truth and you act like it's a fact. If you're asking yourself, huh, I wonder if some terrorists are... Fuck you. Wrong question. Don't let anybody question you about whether or not you have some evidence anybody's coming across the border who's a terrorist. Do not fall for that. You treat it like they're coming across by the millions. Exact same actions. No difference. If you don't, you're a fucking idiot. And you're not, you're not on the side of the United States. So you can find out who's on the side of the United States this week. If they don't close the fucking border with the military, with the military, 
this week, whoever's in charge is not on the side of Americans. You can say that with confidence. America wants that border closed, tight as hell, because we don't want to turn into what Israel's experiencing right now. Don't let anybody tell you that's a question that we don't know the answer to, because it doesn't matter. You act exactly the same, if you're smart. Otherwise, uh, and by the way, if if Biden doesn't close the border like right away, like this week, that has to be grounds for uh, removal. Am I wrong? Because to me, that would be abandonment of the job. Now, I don't think abandonment of the job is technically a reason for uh, expulsion, but it should be. Yeah, I would, I would uh, you know, you could take him out on what, you know, of course, we don't want Kamala. You'd ha- you have to get rid of Kamala at the same time, I think. <laughs> You'd have to impeach them both. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably not possible. But anyway, um, what we're seeing is a preview of America. Uh, if I could say there was one sort of base problem that caused Israel to have this war, the base problem is the uh, software of the human beings. In other words, their brains. Nobody's fighting for an asset per se. I mean, you could argue they're fighting to control Israel, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So it's more like, yeah, the wetware, the, the programming in their brains is broken. Now, are we doing anything like that in the United States that would give us a similar outcome? And the answer is yes. And we're doing it aggressively. We are aggressively running in the same direction as Israel, uh, but we're doing it by training our own population to uh, be warlike against the rest of the population. So CRT and DEI and ESG all have the same quality that it, it says one group is oppressing you. Does that sound familiar? And there's one group that is oppressed. And the only way to fix it is for the oppressed people to either kill or take the stuff from the oppressors. So in America, we're creating a Hamas-Israel situation between uh, people of color, mostly black, and uh, other people. Basically, everybody who isn't black. Where will that end up? You don't have to wonder. You're watching it on television. Every time you see somebody going down the street with a gun, wiping out somebody on the other side and killing them, why is it that they can do it so easily? They can do it so easily because the value of human life has been diminished by their propaganda. So when the uh, Hamas fighters see this family of Israelis, they're not saying to themselves, oh, mom and dad and you know, loving children. They're seeing you know, some, some view that has been given to them through brainwashing that they're less than people. They're less than people. Now, watch the videos on social media of groups of people beating up often just one person. What do you notice about that? Tucker Carlson got in a lot of trouble because he once said, and this is terrible, it sounds like the most racist thing, he was talking about all the videos of uh, uh, usually black people beating up white people. And he said that white people don't fight like that. Pretty racist, right? If you make a statement that 
you know, white people are better than black people. That's clearly a racist sounding statement. Would you agree? Racist? Well, here's the way I interpreted it, which was different than the way other people interpreted it. I interpreted it that he was saying that from a cultural perspective, which has nothing to do with your DNA, white people are not taught that hurting black people for sport is entertaining. I don't know anybody who thinks that. I've never seen it. In fact, if you put, uh, let's say, five black people, or let's say five white people were trying to beat up a black person for fun, I think most white people would try to stop it immediately because it would look like just the worst thing ever in our heads. So when Tucker says white people don't fight like that, he's not talking about anybody's genes. He's not even really talking about culture. He's talking about a training that has been presented to all of us, black and white, that the white people are oppressors, the black people are oppressed. And when you see oppressors oppressing people, you go, oh, I hate those oppressors. But when you see the people who are being oppressed fighting back against their oppressors, even violently, you say to yourself, "Eh, eh, I guess they had it coming. Have you seen the video of all the uh, Hamas supporters celebrating the violence? You've seen that, right? Now, from their perspective, they feel that they, they are the victims. And when the victims get, you know, get one up on the oppressors, they celebrate, even though it's violence. People celebrate violence as long as it's against oppressors. We do it too. I'm not better than that. If I, if I heard that there's some serial killer they got, you know, just totally destroyed by police. I don't say, oh, the humanity of that killer. I say, good. I kind of actually got some dopamine from that story. That, okay, when I see the bad guys getting it, I feel a little charge of excitement. So in the United States, we've created a series of systems to guarantee that one group will feel comfortable abusing another group and that the people who watch the videos of it will cheer it on, or at least not be too offended by it. So we've created a situation that guarantees America goes in the same direction as Israel. Because, but we're doing it with groups within the country as opposed to you know something a, a somewhat separate group like Gaza. Does does this wake up anybody? Does it wake you up at all? Now you can see why I thought this was worth getting canceled. Do you see it now? When, when I put my entire life on the line, and I knew I was doing it, obviously. I mean, I didn't think it would be as fast as it happened, but I knew it would happen. It's because of this, that we're actually creating a Gaza in the United States. And I can't stand for it. And what am I willing to do to make sure that you know it's happening so maybe you could do something differently? I gave away everything. I gave away everything. So that's how important I think it is. And by the way, if you think you can ignore me, good luck. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my show for today. Thanks for joining on the three platforms. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hope you like the camera. It's a new camera.